It's 1 to 8. Ecclesiastes 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of the birds, but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home, and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. We have much to hope for, don't we? And he did too, actually. And we'll go into that on the last one of Ecclesiastes next week. How he, get, he gets it in the end. In fact, he's looking back on a wasted life, uh, primarily, and then he's come back to the Lord, I believe. And... Uh, that's why he's writing this way to show us how pointless it is without the Lord anyway 13 remember your creator while you're young 12 1 to 8 <clears throat> old age and all that comes with it is inevitable for most people the cynic Richard Needham says this the seven ages of human life spills drills Thrills, bills, ills, pills, and wills. What a miserable person. <laughs> but he's right. Live long enough and you go from incontinent to incontinent, gobbledygook to talking gobbledygook, not able to walk to being not able to walk, Dependent on others, back to dependent on others. If you live that long, that's what happens. And then the darkness of the womb gives way to the darkness of the grave. So with this in mind, as Solomon's about to tell us, he tells the youth, those who are young and still strong and fit and able, to make the very most of those young years. He's kind of giving advanced warning. He says, before this and before this, so that the young person can make the most of the now. But the young don't really think of getting old, do they? I never did. Uh, why, why would you when you're young? It's like they'll live forever, and even 30 is very old to a kid. Um, uh, the great Dave Matthews band, um, they, they wrote uh, this lyric about, it's called um, Gravedigger. And anyway, it says, Cyrus Jones, 1810 to 1913, made his great-grandchildren believe that you could live to 103, because that's what he did. And 103 is forever when you're just a little kid, 
So Cyrus Jones lived forever in their eyes. Don't wait till you're old. Live for the Lord now is really Solomon's message in this passage. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Why? You see, if you're old, you'll think this, won't you, if you're not yet a believer. Well, I can trust him or take him more seriously when I am older. I want to make the most of these young years. I want to have fun. I want to do what I want to do. I want to fill my boots with what's on offer now. Because if I don't go for it now... While I'm young, how will I truly know what it is to enjoy life? That's very understandable, isn't it? But there is a huge assumption here. And the assumption is this. If I trust the Lord while I'm young, I won't enjoy my young days. Well, who told, who told you that? Solomon wrote these words after trying everything the world has to offer and he concludes it's meaningless, it's a chasing after the wind, it's pointless because you're left empty, miserable, cheated, directionless and damaged. He looks back, as some of us do, to wasted youth and utterly foolish decisions made then that still sometimes hamper us now. And he's kind of wishing he'd never done any of that now. <laughs> That's what this is about. He laments it. The, the sinful things of this world promise everything, don't they? But they don't just deliver nothing. They deliver damage. They deliver ruination. They deliver regret and deep sorrow and then death. That's, that's what he's saying. But the devil's very clever. He loves to show the bait but hide the hook. So you see the bait and you bite down hard at it. Mm, that's nice. But it's soon followed by long-term pain. And then you're on his hook, and he reels you in, and he dumps you in his net, and there you are, wriggling around, you're on borrowed time, the clock's ticking. You can't get out the net yourself, the Lord may well pull you out, and he grants you new life, maybe, and he returns you to the water with the freedom you never had before in that water, but you've still got a bleeding hook hole in your mouth and a scar that remains. You see, there is no badge of honour for those who have misspent their young years. There are just scars from needless wounds, that's all. In other words, Solomon's saying that far from enjoying life without God, life is much better with God, and if only, he says, I would have got that when I was young. And he says, Ecclesiastes 2.25, For without God, who can eat or find enjoyment? Now he sees. Why? Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has made everything beautiful in its time, but he's set eternity in the hearts of everyone. In other words, yes, you'll be captivated by time-bound things and time-bound people for a little while, but they will never satisfy or bring everlasting content because you are made, you're created to only be satisfied with the eternal. God set it in your heart. So no matter how hard you try, nothing temporary will ever fill the eternal in you. That's why life has a huge missing piece without God. Because only the eternal life can satisfy the eternal whole. 
That's why we look, so, we look forward to something, and isn't it great, I can't wait for this, and then afterwards you think, well, it wasn't that good anyway, or even if it was good, it fades. Well, what's eternal life? Well, it's not a what, is it? It's a who. The eternal life is none other than Jesus, 1 John 1, 2. And Jesus himself, standing at the grave of a dead person who's been rotting for four days, says, I am the resurrection and the life. So he commands that person, and the dead start walking out the tomb, grave clothes and all. Without coming to know the eternal life, that's Jesus' name, <laughs> the eternal life, let's call him that. It's not a concept. Without coming to know the eternal life, you'll never discover what life is supposed to be all about. That's the bottom line. That's why Solomon says living a life without God is like chasing after the wing. No matter how hard you try to catch it, it will always slip through your fingers. You may enjoy sin for a short while, but true enjoyment is found only in the eternal God. Moses illustrates this for us, doesn't he, in Hebrews 11, 24. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why? He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. At 25, my past life caught up with me, brought me to the threshold of eternity. It was brilliant fun, I won't deny it. It was great fun at the time, but I ended up at 25 being stripped of absolutely everything. And so I said to myself, I was considering Christ, I thought, but if I trust Christ, I'll never ever enjoy my life again. Because <laughs> that's what sometimes you think, especially when you've had a whale of a time. But the Lord kept pressing me. He wouldn't let me go. And in the end, when you know your sin is real, and hell is real, the place I used to joke about became a horrifying reality, and the cross is the only way to be saved, you have to cast yourself upon the Lord. Because truth isn't truth unless you can trust your life on it. Every word of God must be trusted with your life. So I asked him to forgive me reluctantly. I knew it was true. I didn't want to. I was unwilling. I asked him to be Lord of my life, resigning myself to a saved but miserable life from that point on. What a load of old nonsense it proved to be. That's the devil's lie, isn't it? I began... I didn't think I ever could, but, and it took a while, but I began to enjoy life without those stimulants, without alcohol, drugs, without serial relationships, without things, without money. The Christian life was hard, but like Moses, at that point I would never exchange the joy of knowing Christ for anything that this temporary world can offer, and now Solomon gets it too. Would you exchange Christ for anything that this world, or anyone that this world might offer you, the answer to that will tell you whether you truly love Christ or not. And if you know him, then the answer is a flat no within a millisecond.
And the second assumption, and so why chase them? And the second assumption for many people like, they kind of look at people like Cyrus Jones in our lyric, and they think, I'll live to 103, or ish. I've got plenty of time. I'll trust God when I'm unable to do what I can do now, when I won't be missing out on anything. Well, first of all, how do you know you're going to live till as old as Cyrus Jones? Who is Cyrus Jones? Um, <laughs> how, 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 old, how do you know you're ever going to live till you're old? How do you know you'll want to even trust the Lord then anyway? So much will have changed, and you will have changed. And the Lord may have returned, and then what? Well, you'll know by then that there was no way back. So Solomon's saying, put all your youthful energies into serving your creator now while you can do so much. Because if you do get old, you won't be able to serve him in the same way, you'll still serve him, but in the same way you could when you were young. Limitations of age does come. Don't waste this precious time. It'll be gone before you know it. Use it wisely. The older you get, the quicker time goes, and the that you, you really do begin to believe that you're just a vapour or a mist that's there in the morning and gone by the sun comes up. You know, it's balmy, but it's true. The other thing, it's not in this passage, but I think it's important to say, is make the most of serving the Lord while you're young and or single. Oh, I used to moan when I was single. I don't know why I moaned. I mean, I'm very happily married, please don't get me. No, for sure. I'll be in big trouble if I don't say that, but it's very, very true. Um, and I just wanted to be married in my later Christian life, and I wasn't getting married, and I was at 31 when I did get married. I thought, oh, oh I don't like being single. And that stops you doing what you could be doing when you are single. The church, you know, has traditionally bigged up marriage in favour of being single, but Paul doesn't say that. Paul says being single is a huge advantage in terms of serving the Lord. He says, I wish in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, 7, I wish that all were as I am, in unmarried in the context. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried as I am. Why? Because he goes on in 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 34, saying, when you're married, you've got other concerns. When you're not married, you're all out for the Lord. You've got all the time. You don't have to be back for tea. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. Just burn yourself out for the Lord. No, sell yourself out for the Lord, not burn out. You've got the energy, so do it. And the freedom. Of course Paul has no problem with getting married. God invented it. It's normal, it's naturally. But it's a huge advantage to use those years while you're young and or single for the Lord. But now we get to Solomon's reason for coming to the Lord when young. He's basically saying the older we get, the more restricted we become. And in verse 1, as he continues, remember your creator, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them, when the, 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 the joy of life perhaps has gone out because of the afflictions you have, the days of trouble. When you're young and fancy free, most of us 
don't have that many responsibilities or worries. We don't necessarily have lots of debt. We haven't got a mortgage. We haven't got a spouse. We haven't got kids. Maybe we haven't been seriously bereaved. Mostly, not always. But the longer you live, the more problems you accumulate in that sense. So start serving the Lord now before those dates hit you when you get old, is what Solomon is saying. Love the Lord, enjoy the Lord, and serve the Lord now. Before times of affliction and sadness, verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. It's not if, but he's saying in the next few verses, when this happens, when that happens, when this happens. As you get older, things get harder. And now Solomon begins to describe old age in a very sort of cryptic, slightly symbolic thing. So summing up verse 3, once you were so steady, but as you get older now you're infirm. Verse 3, when the keepers of the house tremble. Now that might mean when you start to shake, you know, a lot of older people begin to shake their hands and they're a bit unsteady. Um, or they're, they're, they're fearful because the keepers of the house can no longer maintain the house like they were young. So what will become of the house? And they wish they'd maybe done a few more things to the house beforehand, maybe. And then it says, and the strong men stoop. Perhaps their legs that were so once so strong it's very hard now to support the body. They have a stick to walk, they stoop. Or maybe they've got a bad back, so they stoop, or both. And they also get a little smaller and they shrink a little. I was greatly grieved the other day. Um, it was pointed out to me by my family that I've shrunk. <laughs> you also get smaller and you shrink a little. <laughs> and... And once you were strong, and once you were upright, now you're weaker, maybe you're bent over, shorter. And then we have this verse, when the grinders cease because they are few. And one commentator said this meant that your teeth start falling out. <laughs> your grinders cease because they... I really don't think that's true in here. I think that's about... More and more workers get old and retire and there aren't as many workers anymore at the mill, I think. Grinders cease because they are few. That's a new one. I use that in my visiting to the old. <laughs> Eyesight starts to fail. Those who looking through the windows grow dim. Then you have the elderly person who's housebound, verse 4, when the doors to the street are closed. They're frail they're no longer able to go out. Few perhaps visit and go in. Once the sounds of life years ago could be clearly heard from that house and now it's pretty quiet. And as they grow older, they feel disconnected with society. They're more isolated. The sense of real loneliness, sometimes abandonment. The doors to the street are closed. Other commentators say this is a symbol for the lips, the doors to the street to close, where perhaps they can, their speech therefore is less, or maybe they can't even speak. The sound of the grinding fades, now they're not able to hear much. 
Also when men rise up at the sounds of birds, but all their songs grow faint, they're still aware of birds singing, they still wake up to the sound, but they can't really hear them like they used to. Or some believe that because Solomon hired or bought singers, men and women singers in Ecclesiastes 2.8, he can't hear their sound as much as he used to or appreciate them as much, which could have a lot of truth in it. And here's another one. It's very accurate, this is. Age often, with age often comes increased anxiety. Verse 5, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when some get older and they're more unsteady on their feet, Perhaps they're afraid of falling. When they do fall, they break something easier. Maybe they get dizzy sometimes. They feel nauseous. They have vertigo, whatever. Danger in the streets. Obviously, when you're older, you can't defend yourself as much. You feel more vulnerable. You're more prone to accidents, possibly. Muggings, even. Getting lost. There's no one to help. Forgetting where you are. All these things come to you often with age. And maybe fear gets bigger and more exaggerated than the actual reality sometimes when you're older, too. And there are certainly things you wouldn't think much about when you're younger that now do become very real worries and fears. And then there's when the almond tree blossoms and the locust, it's not grasshopper, and the locust drags himself along and the desire is no longer stirred. One of the Jewish translations is the almond shall be despised. In other words, pleasant sweet food shall no longer be enjoyed or relished. You used to love food, you used to eat lots, but now you're losing your appetite or your taste. And then you've got the locust who's known for its activity and it's pointing to what they were, the youth who were so active. But now even the locust slows down and he's heavy and he's stiff, like the older person, and everything's more of an effort to get around. It's really sad, this. So verse 6 says, remember him, meaning in your younger years, because after old age, we die. Before the silver cord is severed, or the golden bowl is broken. In other words, the light of life is put out before then. And the silver cord which the lamp hung from is cut. And that sends the lamp and the golden bowl with the oil for the lamp crashing to the floor, which it breaks in pieces. The light of life is put out. And the water of life runs dry, eventually. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, that's what they used to use to carry back the water. Or the wheel broken at the well, which lowered your bucket down, was broken so you couldn't get water that sustains life. So you're dead. That's what he means. And then, as we say at funerals, dust to dust, verse 7, and the dust returns to the ground it came from. And the spirit or soul meets its maker. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. So Solomon does paint a grim, sad, depressing cycle of life that's utterly meaningless without God. Verse 8. Meaningless, says the teacher, everything, all of this I've just said, going through all of that, 
is meaningless without God. But you know, that's the sadness of this. That, that is a life lived without God from beginning to end. People come, people go. And for what? Um, 1 verse 9 in Ecclesiastes, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun in a world without God. 2.16, for the wise man, like the fool, will not long be remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man, too, must die. That's why it's meaningless without God. You see, he says you can choose to live your life from cradle to grave like God doesn't exist, but that is not who you're supposed to be, and that is not what you were made for. Because every single human being that walks the face of the earth, they might not know it, was originally made to walk in sync with our maker. For life to mean anything permanent, to even make sense at all, you need to know the Lord. You can spend your whole life trying to find yourself. People do, and it's a chasing after the wind. They never truly do. They claim they do, but when they say what they've found, it's nothing. Um, why? Because you only find yourself when you find Christ, your creator. You only know who you are, where you're from, what you're doing here, where you're going, when you encounter the God-human. You can look everywhere else, and you look, can look to anyone else, but you'll die as you have lived without God and without hope. And so will those after you and those after them, is what Solomon's saying. So why? And what's the point? You've missed the whole point of life. That's why it's a good thing when people begin to think that their life is absolutely pointless, as long as you then tell them about Christ. Because Colossians 3 verse 4 says, Christ, who is your life? And whether you like it or not, and whether you know it or not, Acts 17, 28, in him, God, we live and move and have our being. You know, last week I was playing geriatric football, and... I was asked by one of the other geriatrics, um, why, why don't I play football on a Sunday? Because Stoke City have a team and they can play Sunday. I said, well, I'm a, I don't say pastor because they don't know what that is. I, I say, I'm a minister at a church. And he said, oh, I used to go to an Elim Pentecostal church. But I, I think faith is a private thing. I'll stand before my maker. Uh, it's private now. But when I get to see him, I'll tell him how I've lived my life. <laughs> don't... <laughs> Don't ever do that. Please don't do that. No one can stand in their own righteousness before the burning purity of the all-consuming fire. He obviously doesn't know who he's going to stand against in front of. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The only way to stand before our maker, to come to know our maker, is to trust in the perfection of his son. To ask him to forgive your sins and to take away the condemnation they bring and then to receive his perfect life earned with blood, sweat and tears for you and given to you as a gift to wear like a coat. 
Then, when you come before the one whose eyes burn like fire, he'll see you're wrapped in Christ's perfection and he'll pardon you. And that's what I want my friend to do. And I didn't tell him why. But I'm going to go back to him and tell him. But better than that, when you're wrapped in the perfection of the flawless one, you'll stare then directly into the eyes of God as if you were Jesus himself. There will not be a hint of condemnation coming back at you. There will not be even the trace of smoke upon your clothes, like when they entered the furnace and there was one like the Son of God. And when you look into his eyes then, there will be not eyes of fury or judgment or, 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 or condemnation. There will just be an ocean depth of love which you once seen will forever gleam. But even better than that... Glory of glories is that when he stares back at you, you'll see at last that he loves you the very same as he loves his spotless son. You don't get that, I don't get that. But we need to spend the rest of our lives believing it and getting closer to it. Because Jesus' prayers are always answered. Let me prove this to you. I've said this before. It's the most fundamental, most precious truth in the whole of the Bible. John 17, 20. Jesus has prayed for the apostles and then he forgets about them. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you. And that, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that oneness, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's your purpose, you see. You're part of the divine society. Now, you're as one as their one. And therefore, because you're that, your purpose is to shine God down here from cradle to grave, from your youth till your death, so that the world will believe in the sent one, Christ. And then he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, and that they may be one as we are one, I in them, you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. Why? Again, evangelism. To let the world know that you sent me. And also to let the world know that you have loved them as you have loved me the same. You don't deserve it, neither do I. No, you don't, but you're wrapped in his righteousness. You're a little Christ without the divinity. You are, as far as God's concerned. You're one of his sons and daughters. He's got nothing against you. You see, to know God is to know life. To know God is to know you. To know God is to bring others to know him. Now I know that, uh, well, I want to give an encouragement to the old. Let me tell you that it's never too late to trust Christ, first of all. So, wasted youth can be uh, erased. And you can trust him and be saved. And still 
serve him in an amazing way. Even if you're housebound, Howard reminded me of this last week. I want to say it this week because we talked about how you can suffer and the purpose of it last week. Even if you're housebound, maybe somebody out there is watching this now. They'd love to be here, but they can't be. Even if you sometimes never see or speak to another human for days, if you remember the story of Job, the devil said to God, basically, Job's trusting you when all's well. But you strip him of everything, and he'll stop trusting you, and he'll stop living for you. So Job lost his family, his friends, as many old people have. He became sick in mind, that's clear. He became sick in body. He was isolated, left all alone on the scrap heap of life. And still he cried, Though he slay me, God, yet will I hope in him. At that moment, the cry of that echoed and reverberated through all the corridors of hell, rattled the grave, and declared total victory to the sovereign God because it said, No, Satan, you're utterly wrong. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. That's what he was saying. So, older, frail, housebound person, that's another reason why the Lord keeps you here. Because of Every moment you breathe and trust the Lord when there's nothing else going on is to confound the powers of darkness for God's victory. And God sees and God knows and after this he'll take you to glory. Three weeks before Mark Perry died of AIDS, he got saved. He was on US national TV and he was asked, how, Mark, would you like to be remembered? And he said, I don't want to be remembered. I want people to remember Jesus. Is that how you want your life? It's the only thing that counts. And then there's a film, I wish I could find the video, I've got bits of it that I could play at one time. One after another stood up at Mark's memorial and said, because of Mark I came to know Jesus. One after the other. Here's the Lord's message to the young and the old. Jeremiah 9:23. This is what the Lord says. Let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Amen. Let's just come to the Lord. Father, we realize that our lives would be exactly how Solomon describes. We'd go through the whole cycle of it. We'd be born not knowing you. We'd die not knowing you. But you've changed all that. And we thank you that this table reminds us that you very much died in our place and that, Lord, you, you took the initiative 
and you made us and are making us into what we're supposed to be to walk in sync with our maker young or old anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved Lord we thank you so much for this reminder in a minute and help us to cherish it even all the more whether we're old or whether we're young or whether we're in the middle and whether we've got lots of other things going on it doesn't matter we're yours and we can still bear witness to your glory Lord I pray for the young among us Lord those that perhaps haven't quite trusted you or those that have trusted you and have slipped away a bit help them to put you back on the center throne that is the only way to truly enjoy and make sense of life and and save them from the scars we've been talking about the needless wounds because they will remember their creator in the days of their youth Amen <laughs>